0: Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences, because adults want to learn too. Sometimes we cover sensitive material, so please take care of yourselves, and listener discretion is advised. Now on to the show. Friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I'm going to talk in a Brooklyn accent all episode. Bada bing! I got don't two days with me. Why <laughs> 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 you. ruined it. <laughs>
1: Bada bing! I, ru- I ruined it?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourselves?
2: I'm Lindsay, and I still use Drew's clothes hangers in my closet. Oh, okay.
1: Wow. I'm Sarah, and I will not be speaking in a Brooklyn accent all episode. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is the show where we wander around Wikipedia. We pick a different page every week. We all start on that same page, and we wander around using hyperlinks within the article until we find something that we cannot stop reading. Usually this means that we are stuck reading one paragraph or more, and before we know it, we are metrically interested and we are beholden to share all of our excitement and information with all of you. This week, we started on Sarah's favorite page that's ever existed
1: Greyhound, the most beautiful dogs in the entire world,
2: and Lindsay's least favorite bus company. <laughs> oh. Where did everybody end up this week? Well,
0: I ended up on the page for Truth Serum. Oh,
2: <gasps> oh I'm <so> shit. Excited. <laughs> How did you not? Tease that all week. You've been sitting on that.
0: I've been sitting on that, and I oh my god, it's right in my heart. I love it.
2: I'm so oh excited. My. This is right up there with with the philosopher's stone. I feel this is <laughs> oh, this is good. Um, I personally I warned I warned everybody in the Discord. We have a spoilers channel. Come hang out with us in the Discord. Um, it's a little sexy. Not inappropriate, just a little sexy. So if you're listening at work, put your headphones on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk about see-through clothing.
1: Oh. Oh.
2: What does she mean by that? (laughs) That is so mysterious and sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: I love
1: it. I love it. And I know that you're talking about the early 20th century, so I'm so excited to see... How pissed off people were at women showing their knees.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: Sarah, you're not right. This is
2: going to get so
1: fucked. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I did not land on either of those topics, thankfully. I landed on someone called Frederick the Great, which people okay. probably know of. He was a king of Prussia. But I thought his life is really interesting and the ending spoilers, the ending of his story is like chef's kiss could not have fallen on a better starting Wikipedia page. It's incredible.
2: Can you tell everybody the hilariously
1: circular path you took? So I went on a wild goose chase. I think it was something like 45 pages that I was going through just trying to find something that piqued my interest. And then this dude did. And I'm like, okay. And he piqued my interest and I'll tell you why. Later on. Uh, but when I got to the end of his life, he wanted to be buried with his Greyhounds and Italian Greyhounds, <laughs> and he was not. And I was like, You were shitting me. <laughs> and so Full Circle could click straight back on Greyhound and end up where we began.
2: That I think is the <laughs> first time in history that's because as soon as Sarah told me who it was right before the show, I was like, Oh, did you take one click? She no. Was like, no. Not- <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> But before we do any of that, even before question of the week, I am bursting to tell you guys that our Patreon Muggle Watcher has just taken the crown for first patron ever, ever, ever. And we cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. This one's for you, baby. (laughs) Uh,
0: hmm. (laughs)
2: wow drew just gave his little mr president smooch (laughs) lucky
1: muggle watcher
2: (laughs) and now on to question of the week for reals okay
1: so this week's question of the week is what is your worst advice and i'm gonna ask Lindsay to go first
2: so the, so I believe that the exact phrasing was, what was the worst advice you've ever been given, right? Not that you would give somebody. Yes, Sorry, yes. I
1: misunderstood the assignment. I was thinking about the worst advice I've ever given someone. So I'm going <laughs> to redo works. that one. <laughs> see, what was the worst advice you were ever given? Well,
2: I would say, actually, I didn't have an answer until exactly this moment. A long time ago, a long, long time ago, I wanted to shave half of my head um, in the way that was popular back in the day. And um, an older woman overheard me saying that I wanted to do that. And she looked disgusted and she was like, oh, my God, don't do that. You would look so ugly. And it was quickly followed by the best advice I have ever gotten in my life. I was working retail. This woman was my coworker at the cash register and a random customer leaned over the counter and said, You're worried that you're not cool enough for this haircut. The fact that you want it means you're cool enough. (laughs) Oh! And I have kept that in my heart my whole life. Just if you want something, you are that enough for it. I also have to do my due diligence. We have many listener submissions. Yes. Go for it. From our Discord, some of... The worst advice we've ever been given. One of our friends, Jammerhand, says to be celibate. <laughs> <laughs> and our queen supreme of Twitch, Gunchizer, says, just don't be sad anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fixed it. Yeah, Dawn, you're good. Great.
2: And my favorites on Twitter, They both, both of them made me go, oof, how loud. <laughs> User library carry got the advice take out all the student loan money you'll pay it off in no time oh no, <laughs> ooh, ooh. Ooh, no. Ooh. and user minigeist says fine drop out
0: oh <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Ooh, no
1: it was the same person after 5 years
0: <laughs> no, these it
1: like were two different users. But man, Drew,
2: this is Drew's question this week. You got people right in the feels this week. I think I did.
1: So good. Speaking of feels, Drew, what's the worst advice someone ever gave you? And I'ma hurt them if they hurt your feeling.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: You're
0: welcome. I feel like probably the worst advice that I got was that I would get nothing out of grad school. And I think I think we had like a professor tell me that, and I was just like, really, like, what? what? We need sure? Yeah. Also, you could just be be yourself. That would be the worst advice.
1: <laughs> Why? Why?
0: <laughs> um, that's a joke.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, oh, damn it. Okay. I was like, Drew, who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I've had a lot of doozies. What definitely hair-related, like uh to stay on the same type of topic as Lindsay was someone told me once that I should never have bangs because it did not look good on me and it made my face look very round. That was
2: you're sugarcoating it because you told me and it was worse (laughs) than that.
1: It was (laughs) so mean. It was a family member. He was like, you look terrible. Why did you get banged? And I'm like, oh, I'm 13. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> Anyway, so I've been too scared to get banged since then. But I think that's terrible advice because it's like, if you want, you do what you want with your hair. Wait, what was, what was the bad advice you gave? Oh, yeah, probably setting my friends up with men that they shouldn't have oh, no. dated. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're great. They were not. <laughs> that was my bad. <laughs> that was many years ago, so I'm, I'm scot-free now. I'm okay. Now I have a great track record. I'll have you know. And Drew, Drew's going to be my next. Oh. <laughs> if you would like to
2: set up a date with Drew or answer any of our questions of the week... <laughs> On Twitter, we are Go Ask Alice Pod. And on Instagram, we are Go Ask Alice Podcast. Also, on our Twitter is a link to our link tree where you can also find a permanent invitation to our Discord where we have a question of the week channel. You are always welcome to come answer the questions.
1: Yes, please. We love when you answer questions. Who should go first today? I have no
0: idea.
2: We've got Truth Serums, we've got Fashion, and we've got a man who loves dogs. I don't see the connections here. This is a Mm. real random one, guys. We did it.
1: We can start with the man who loves dogs. Okay. And then I'm guessing he was truthful about that. So then we can jump to truth serum. And then we can end on some risque little (laughs) see through clothing. Does that sound okay? That's
2: a little can can at the end of the. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Let's do it.
1: Okay. We're going to start on Frederick the Great. Now, he was clearly one of these old-time rulers that got a fantastic name. You don't need to know any other name apart from Frederick the Great, which I think was just brilliant. And when I clicked on his profile, um a lot of it was all about his military accomplishments and all that jazz. But I'm a lover, not a fighter. So we're actually going to focus <laughs> on some of the history of his own like personal life and loves and things like that. Um, so I hope that's okay with you. If you want to hear about the war history, you can, you can go have a little read. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Nice. So he was the king of Prussia in the 18th century. Uh, but let's set the scene. So before he became king, he had to be a little boy. <laughs> so it is the 1710s young frederick was born to king frederick william the first of prussia his father was a strong and opinionated figure known as a complete authoritarian um, his father had very strong opinions which will become evident later in our story <laughs> so young Frederick, or I'm just going to call him Freddy because I feel like he would be a Freddy. <laughs> Young Freddy was super interested in music, in art and philosophy and all of the like beautiful things that can entice you in life. And as you can probably imagine, his father, who was heavy into war and punishment and all of this type of stuff, was not super impressed that he was, was dabbling in the arts, which I think is a shame. Everybody should be able to dabble in the arts. So this apparently, reportedly, resulted in frequent beating, humiliation, and berating of Frederick. And this was just no! a young boy. I know, Aww. this is like before he was 10, already humiliated by his father. In childhood, he formed a super tight bond with his sister, and this lasted until their death. So they were BFFs, they were BFFs for, for their entire life, which I think is really sweet. <laughs> so at age 16 so he's growing up he likes the art 16 he's discovering who he is and what he likes and he's formed an attachment with his father's page boy who was just a year older than him the page boy's Mm. name was peter and peter sounded like he was real cute so it described peter as not being formally educated but you know could discuss all of the different literature and topics that, that Fred Freddie wanted anyway. So they formed a great attachment and they become inseparable by all accounts, completely inseparable. And historians have speculated that it was most likely that Frederick was gay. Woo! Except remember, this is the 1700s. Being gay was not, not easy by any means, especially if you were part of the royal family. So even though in history we are almost certain that he was a queer individual in his life. He often had to hide that. And so even though we don't have any like, confirmation that, that these two were, in fact, lovers, it's super speculated that these were first loves. They were each other's first loves. They were first, Aww. you know, they discovered Aww. that they had found a human that they had kinship with and that they could discuss anything. And I think it's so romantic. Uh, and of course, his father catches wind of this and he's an arsehole. So to stop any of the rumours running away that these two were more than friends, he had Peter sent away to the border of Germany, completely unreachable by Freddie. So his first love just whisked away. So you can imagine he would be bloody heartbroken. Yeah. Even if it was just his best friend. Yeah. Soon after that relationship was forcefully ended by his father, he became close friends with someone called Hans Hermann Concaffy. We're just going to call him Hans. Okay. Uh, And he was a Prussian officer. He was several years older than Freddie, but again, very well-spoken and educated. You know, they had a great friendship. Mm -hmm. And we know that their friendship grew even greater under the pressure that Freddie's family were trying to get him to marry. And they were trying to set up arranged marriages all over the continent, all into Uh, England. They were trying very hard mm -hmm. to find him a suitor. And Freddie just wanted to hang out with Hans. And again, we're not certain, but we're pretty sure that they were most likely lovers. If you were royal back in the day, your weddings weren't for love. They were for bonds and business and whatever else.
2: I guess it's nice that maybe it means that most marriages were loveless to begin with. I mean, maybe there was no real <laughs> expectation that it was going to be straight or gay. Like it sounds like no one's Everybody getting married for love.
1: Miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's what's so fascinating about, I think this is why I'm always drawn to this European upper class, royal nobility because mm. What a bizarre concept. These people are so rich, so powerful, and yet they are not allowed to have their own life or like their own things or love who they want. Like they don't have a life of their own. It's at such
2: all. a it's such a total dichotomy, I guess. Yeah, that they are like as powerful as they are, and yet powerless when it comes mm-hmm. to something like this.
1: Totally. We have we have Hans and Freddie they're most likely falling in love or already lovers. And all of a sudden, there has been threats that they are going to try marry them off. And they're like that, okay, we could make this work if we ended up in England. You know, if you were to be married to a British woman, I could come with you. We could make it work. We'd be away from your father's watch, basically. Oh, so romantic. I know. Until that the arranged marriages between the British completely failed. And all of a sudden, no. all of their hope of escaping, like, the father's watchful eye.
2: It's too bad that British is the only other country other than Prussia.
1: Ah, <laughs> Hans and Freddie, they were like, screw this. Let's just run away to England. Let's run away. We can find ourselves some suitable wives that, you know can be our covers um, but we'll be free we'll be free of under this watchful eye they were planning to run away and they had a few different men who were going to run away with them for this idea of starting a new life in england and one of those people was actually the brother of peter his first (gasps) who got sent away i was like wow great until the next sentence they were turned in by peter's brother peter's brother what the fuck i know i think he was too scared of what would happen if they got caught because technically (sighs) it was an act of treason peter's brother turned them in and he and hans were arrested and imprisoned near the border of germany no Um, because again technically this was treason and i forget what other name it was back in the day but you can't just run away from your duties because technically both of them had active duties one was the uh the prince crown so soon to be king and one was a military official
2: but again like you would think that these people have tons of power
1: you'd hope so No. All right, give me some good news. Oh, (laughs) it gets worse. So the king is obviously pissed. The king is so angry that his son threatened to run away. The crown prince, the man who is meant to become king, is trying to run away from Prussia. Like, that is an offense. And to do it with another man, again, big offense. So the king briefly threatened uh, that he should maybe just kill his son with execution. A bit hot-headed, he cooled down a little bit, and he then considered forcing Frederick to renounce the succession of the throne to his younger brother. Although it would turn out that either option, really difficult to actually justify to the kingdom and also to the church. So he's like, eh, I won't kill my son, I won't demote him. I- I'll figure out another punishment.
2: I still feel like it would still be better to just like for Frederick to like quit his job.
1: Yeah i don't know if that's possible though Mm. i don't know if you're a royal i mean i guess harry did it with (laughs) Mexit. do what you need with love for love (laughs) instead what can you what do you think is a suitable punishment for your son who's tried to run away with his supposed lover to england
2: Put him in a shed with a pack of cigarettes and make him smoke all of them and then he'll never smoke again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll teach him. Maybe, I I hate to say it, but maybe kill his lover?
1: Drew! Ding, 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 ding! Sarah! I
0: got it.
2: I don't know if Sarah's microphone picked up the applause that she just
1: gave. (laughs) 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 Only because Drew is right. It's terrible. It's the worst thing. But that's exactly what his father did. So he decided that instead of, you know, killing his own son or taking the crown away from him, he would just make him watch as they beheaded Hans because Hans had done a crime too. So Hans was going to be executed so he forced his son to watch the execution and it's recorded that Freddie actually just fainted before the final blow because this was not in the guillotine era so it would have been done with an axe. Likely oh. didn't see the final blow. You'd think that's pretty shit punishment. That is, that's a crap thing to have to go through. Drew wouldn't think that.
0: <laughs> just guessed it, come on.
2: You were like, this is what I would do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I just guessed it.
1: <laughs> after this, after that ordeal, he was officially pardoned by his father and released from his jail cell. I know how kind of his father except he was basically a prisoner. He was effectively a prisoner for the next couple of years. He was not allowed to leave this town. He had to take certain courses and study about war and finance and all of the stuff his father wanted him to study. And he was only allowed to to come back to Berlin to see his sister get married, who was his best friend, and then again to see himself get married.
2: This would have turned me into a villain. Like, I would be a war (laughs) superstar after this.
1: He was a war superstar. And I think you can tell why he had fire in his blood to boil So he, yeah, it was either you stay basically imprisoned in this small town with no friends, no family, no career, or you can come back to Berlin and you'll get married. And so he chose that option. Well, I think, I don't think he chose it. I think it was forced. (laughs) (laughs) And his wife-to-be was someone called Elizabeth Christine of Brunswick, Bevan. And Freddie wrote to his sister in a letter that, there can be neither love nor friendship between us and he even threatened suicide in the letter oh. because he was really unhappy he was like are you fucking kidding me so he did go along with the wedding on the 12th of June in 1733 and for all accounts they were cordial to each other pretty much uh, and it wasn't until his father died at the he was the age of 28 when his dad died and he succeeded to the throne that he officially just separated from Elizabeth divorce was not a thing back then obviously but they lived separately so she had her castle he had his castle <laughs> he would go visit her once or twice a year for special events and they had no children um, but Freddie continued to bestow all of the different titles to her that she deserved he also bestowed mm. the title of heir to the throne or prince of Persia to his brother you mean Prussia Prussia sorry Oh, my God, I'm thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Prince of Persia. Prince of Prussia. <laughs> he, he bestowed that to his brother. I don't think his brother was as hot as Jake Gyllenhaal after some cheeky clicking around, so that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, so it was not a loving marriage, but they remained uh, devoted Well, she remained devoted to him being his wife and like would make all of the appearance necessary until their death. And Frederick befitted her like her own station and gave her all the gifts and did what he needed to do. But it is strongly reported that he never displayed any affection towards this woman. I feel like
2: his father like didn't let anything good happen. So I I think Um, anything would be an improvement.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he went on, he's, again, he, he did a lot of different wars, very decorated for all the different things that he did. Um, but I wanted to touch on some other changes that he made that I thought were really cool. While he was in power, some of the big changes were actually to the administrative side of how Prussia was run and a lot of the different housekeeping between money and prison and things like that. So, some notable ones that I super appreciated was that he increased the freedom of speech in both press and literature. He abolished the uses of judicial torture. Nice! I know! About time. And he even reduced the number of crimes which were punishable by the death sentence. What a sweetie. I know, he sounds like such a nice guy. He sounds like a good, a good human who was just stuck in the wrong period. Mm-hmm. But he did get a castle. Oh, he got <laughs> shit tons of castles. I was looking at them all. They were beautiful. Lots of castles. <laughs> so, I mean... I mean, I could be depressed anywhere. Like, I could be depressed
2: in a castle. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, at least he has a castle, you know.
1: <laughs> he also worked to modernize the Prussia civil service and promoted religious tolerance throughout his realm to try attract more people to come settle in the east of Prussia. It's very different to nice. his father, who was very staunch, particular type of Christian. I mean, it's very interesting, too, to hear that, like,
2: okay, this horrible series of events has happened to him because of his father. And then we get the part of his history that's like, okay, he totally rages out
1: in war. Rages against
2: the machine. Sure. But then (laughs) he, he goes in that direction. But then at the same time has these sort of, I guess, doctrines. I don't really know what you would call them, but these sort of ideas that um or laws that are very progressive and like like he really could have just become full on I hate my father so much and then becomes a carbon copy of his father. Like how many times yeah, does yes. that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like he was starting to go that way, you know, with also being successful in war and conquest. I mean it's not really a happy ending, but to me it's
1: it's like, well, all of Prussia could have also suffered and they didn't. Yeah. yeah he could have made more people suffer and he definitely did So that's a win. And my favourite part was that he finally, when his father died, he finally got to take back up his appreciation into the arts, into music and writing. And he was a very Mm -hmm. accomplished flute player. And he composed 121 sonnets for the flute oh my wow. god that was just bursting inside of like i'm imagining it was. Like, the
2: prison like i oh got this
1: is. and i mean my dude you have a very busy life and yet you can still compose more sonnets than i can even think of yeah and that was not all he was also an accomplished writer and he wrote a lot about philosophy and he even wrote sketches for different operas so he was very in tune with what he really enjoyed which was the arts beautiful now, can I finally tell you about his death? Yeah. Go for it. As I hinted at at the, the beginning of the show, I got to the bottom of this article. And so I'd heard of this king, just vaguely, that wanted to be buried with his greyhounds. I'd, just, I'd heard of that years ago. And I got to the bottom and this dude is that king. So <laughs> <laughs> It was just fate. It was just absolutely it was fate. fate. It was fate. So, and it wasn't a straightforward burial. It is said that Frederick derived very little pleasure from popularity with common people, uh, preferring to instead have the company of his pet Italian greyhounds. So he would be like, nah, I'm good. I don't really want to go to like a state dinner. I want to stay at home with my greyhounds. And he called them, (laughs) he called them his little queenies as well. (laughs) so cute. When he died, which was in 1786, so he had a very long life back then, he died peacefully in his armchair, which is nice. I'm glad he didn't die because someone, like, stabbed him in the eye with a jousting stick. (laughs) (laughs) Better than some people we've had on the show.
0: (laughs) Definitely.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he left instructions that he should be buried next to his Italian greyhounds on the vineyard terrace overlooking his favourite his favorite view across this castle. But his nephew and successor, William II, instead ordered that Freddy's body was to be entombed next to his father. Uh, <gasps> hey. Their ghosts are going to fight every fucking night. Exactly. Like... What a kick in the balls. Your dad is an arsehole to you. You finally get to die and leave this forsaken world and you are entombed next to him. They just punch each other through the caskets. That's
2: what would happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The punch, little skeleton fight. (laughs) (laughs) As you can imagine, he probably, he was not there, but mentally it's not a very restful peacey peaceful place being next to your homophobic father uh but don't worry this was absolutely not his final resting place so actually the nazis removed his and his father's coffins during world war ii and they hid them and a lot of other treasures in a salt mine until the war was over what
2: the fuck
1: I know. Apparently they were afraid that they were going to get destroyed.
2: Who's, who's going through the list of like cultural artifacts and then they're like the, the dead body of... Yeah.
1: Put him on a horse and carriage. Get him, get him out of here. What the fuck? Well, the Americans, good old Americans, they came in after the war, found all of these treasures, figured out who the bodies belonged to based on the caskets and returned them back to their family castle. It was then on the 205th anniversary of frederick's death that he was finally laid to rest exactly where he wanted on the terrace in the vineyard right next to his italian greyhounds oh uh, yeah finally a
2: happy ending
1: yeah so that was his happy ending he got to be buried next to greyhounds and another fun fact is visitors often go to his grave and place potatoes on the gravestone to honour his role in promoting the use of potato in Prussia. Ironically, (laughs) I did not figure out where this came from. There was like one (laughs) sentence that mentioned potato crop in the whole article. (laughs) But apparently he did good things for potatoes. So there we go. Not (laughs) the focus of the article, clearly.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. I can't get over
2: the fact that you just like naturally like you were just so fated to learn about this person that you naturally ended up here because he does have a fascinating life. And I wish I could have been there when you read it for the first time and realized it's the Greyhound guy. (laughs) (laughs) The Greyhound
1: guy. The potato Greyhound guy
0: potato greyhound man
1: he loved his dogs he liked potatoes he cared about human rights he outdid his father so good on him i wish that there was like a movie made about his life did you see if there was if there
2: isn't there should be drew to play frederick the great in his biopic
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man thank you sarah
0: yes thank you very much
1: thank you for letting me talk about greyhounds Yeah, you found a way to sneak it back in, even though... (laughs) I did it. (laughs) I did.
0: So are you two ready to jump into the wild world of truth serum?
2: Yeah, for nefarious purposes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this topic especially stood out to me because of just how quickly I got to it from Greyhounds. It took me, you know, guess how many clicks it took me? Three. Yo, you bet. You bet it was three. How?
1: How? How did you do that?
0: I believe greyhounds are specifically susceptible to barbiturates. And I went from barbiturates to oh. another drug into truth serum. So just three clicks. Wow. Wow.
2: I also love how Sarah's like, the, the thread she drew between the different topics was like, you know, bet that's not a lie. And then it's like, greyhounds are sus- especially susceptible to barbiturates. Greyhounds cannot lie. Greyhounds
0: famously tell the truth. They only tell
1: love. Uh. Love hounds.
0: So let me start out by describing what the point of a truth serum actually is. Yes, so, please. So basically the point of a... You, you think you know? Okay, well then why don't you take it, take it from me? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> basically the point of truth serum is to use some kind of drug to coerce information out of someone and you know quote unquote force them to tell the truth. Mm. So the term truth serum is applied to a wide range of psychoactive drugs and as I said, they're all used in the effort to obtain information from people who are unwilling to provide it.
2: Oh, so these are real?
0: Yes, these are 100% real. Yeah, this isn't just like a theoretical thing. This is like- Lindsay, smiles. <laughs> I thought this was magical. Pump the brakes a little bit. Erk. I hate to break this illusion so quickly, but there really are no drugs that, prove it, that are proven to actually produce the desired, like predictable, consistent truth-telling that, that you want from like a truth serum.
2: See, I knew this. That's why I thought they were mythical.
0: <laughs> well, well, I will say it is definitely within the realm of reason that a drug could exist that could produce this truth-telling that we want, but I would say it's probably hidden in some government lab or something, so Ooh. we're not going to see it anytime soon. There really are no known drugs that produce the desired truth, truth serum effects. What substances that have been used, as truth serums actually do, is they make the subject much more suggestible, and they cause their memories to be, like, you basically, you can reconstruct their memories and even fabricate them entirely.
1: Oh, shit.
0: It's basically making it so that you can talk to them and talk them into saying, like, yes, I did that. You can basically build their entire memory just from them taking this drug. And
1: That sounds dangerous on the idea of, like, coercing someone to admit to something that they might not have done because you've built a false reality.
0: Exactly. Well, that's, we'll definitely get into that because there's definitely a lot of legal problems with, with using these. But isn't that also no longer the truth? Exactly. That's, that's the problem is it's not, it's not the truth. What this says is that it, it makes you much more talkative and suggestible and you're willing to provide information to whomever's questioning you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually producing the truth. You're just producing answers that they want.
2: mm mm-hmm reminds me of the way that children will talk a lot (laughs) and also like what you were saying Drew about like how you would just like talk about this friend you had that you never actually had who did all this crazy (laughs) shit or like my <laughs> my youngest brother when he was a baby. For some reason, we had this like VHS documentary of the construction of the St. Louis Arch. I don't know why, this else, but it was all about how the arch was built. And you would ask my three year old brother who built the arch, and he would be like, "I did." <laughs> You're like, yes, sir. Okay. Well, he was clearly there. He's got all these memories. He's, he could tell you exactly how they <laughs> built the arch. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: That's that's exactly what this is. It, I had a lot of memories from 9-11 that weren't, like, they mm. couldn't have been true. That just because of how much coverage there was of 9-11, that, like, my brain... Like basically pieced all those together and built it into a memory. I'm like, well, I couldn't have seen that or I couldn't Mm -hmm. have known that. Your brain just can piece memories together. And that's not even on drugs. That was just me being a... a, Even though it was
1: just on the television, it feels very traumatic.
0: It feels like a memory. Yeah. When these drugs were actually used during investigations of both civil and criminal cases, they were not accepted either by the legal system or by legal experts because they don't believe it's a genuinely good investigation tool. I agree. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's kind of like the same as the lie detector test. The load of bollocks.
0: It is. It really is. In the US specifically, it, was, it has been suggested that the use of truth serum actually is a potential violation of the Fifth Amendment, the right to remain silent, because if you can't oh. remain silent because you have this truth serum in you you're actually like literally violating like this person's right to remain silent. Right. That's uh that's one of the big contentions within the US about about these the truth serums. Not that they specifically work,
1: mm-hmm. but you
0: know, a European Court of Human Rights actually argued that truth serum could be considered a violation of human right to be not uh not suffer any degrading treatment. Generally, you shouldn't treat people poorly and that's kind of like this this is a degrading treatment (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's been suggested that subjecting someone to the truth serum could be considered a form of torture at its very worst it's like a psychological torture sure yeah that's kind of been been a a big contention point is that this could be considered torture and truth serum has been in a violation of the inter-american convention to prevent punishment and torture that's why truth serum is really really contentious because it's just Well, one, it doesn't work and two, it's probably torture. So, you know, (laughs) it's not a good thing.
1: Anything that is probably torture is not a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah, definitely not a good thing.
2: If you just qualify it with probably, it's torture.
0: (laughs) You're right. Truth serum was actually used on on psychotic patients to, Uh. to help treat psychosis, but that has long been discredited as a psychiatric treatment and is no longer used, thankfully. In a therapeutic context, the controlled administration of intravenous hypnotic medications is termed narcosynthesis or narcoanalysis, which are really cool names for something that's considered torture. Oh, shit. (laughs) So narcoanalysis was first documented by Dr. William Bleckwin, but the reliability and suggestibility of patients... Exposed to narcoanalysis has been considered very, very problematic. And as I said, the practice of inducing this involuntary mental state of like susceptibility is widely considered a form of torture, and it's not a useful practice for treating patients. So Mm. basically it has no good use in any sort of medical treatment. It's just not good. What I wanted to get onto next is how exactly does truth serum actually work? And what are the active ingredients within truth serum? All right. The idea behind truth serum is that the act of lying is a very mentally active, like very mental activity that requires a lot of concentration as you fabricate details. Ooh! If a drug were to disrupt that ability to concentrate while you're making, while also making you more talkative, in theory, you would not be able to lie. You'd have to therefore tell the truth.
2: On so paper, that's kind it of makes the, sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what I saw that, with this. It was just, it was so cool to me that it, you know, it makes sense if you put it that way. If you were to disrupt how quickly your body's able to send messages, like physiologically, mm. you may be able to produce that desired effect of truth telling. The, the, the theory behind it seems pretty, pretty I don't, I don't want to call it sound, but it seems like it, it might work.
1: Yeah. Like feasible, plausible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they do see on, uh, on MRIs, if you get someone who is trying to recall a memory or make up a memory, it activates different parts of your brain because mm-hmm. your memory, it doesn't exist if you're trying to make up something. And so it makes sense yeah. that they're like, oh, let's just turn down the...
0: Ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's,
1: That's fascinating.
0: Scary. It's scary and fascinating. You're right. You're both right. <laughs> This is why things like sedatives or hypnotics are actually used to alter the higher cognitive functions because they wanna, they wanna slow you down. That's basically what, what it is, is it's slowing you down. This can include things just as simple as ethanol, like a, a beer, <laughs> getting, someone, right. getting someone drunk. It can That can be a form of, well, not torture, but it could be a form of of this truth-telling where I'm sure we're all very familiar with the shit we talk about when we're drunk. I
2: was going to say, that's a global experience. Yeah, that's (laughs) a global
0: experience. Except for babies.
2: (laughs) Except for babies who are not allowed to listen to the show because we don't want to make bad babies. Good babies only. What's up?
0: Good babies only. Good babies. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? There we go. Oh, no. Brooklyn accent's back. He's back.
2: (laughs) Put it away. <laughs> <laughs> You're not welcome here.
0: Not welcome.
2: Hey, Tony.
0: So, hey, Tony, <laughs> what about scopolamine? That can course, suggestible sti- Okay, I'm doing that. I'm not doing that all the can you say at least one big word in a Brooklyn accent? Potent but short, intermediate acting, hypnotic benzodiazepines. <laughs> and very short, ultra short. <laughs> you like benzodiazepines, huh?
1: Benzodiazepines. <laughs>
0: We are so off the rails, it's, it's incredible. You, no,
2: we're not, we're talking about your topic. With your, this was all, we're all about you right now. This is, we are so on topic on Drew, right? Now.
0: Basically a ton of drugs increase our talkativeness and suggestibility, both of which really seem to produce that truth telling effect. But basically the, the information that you obtain is highly questionable. It's just like other forms of torture, don't you know?
1: Yeah, because you never... People will just say something to make you go away. Or to... Make you stop, yeah. Yeah. It's like you can't, you can't trust any form of torture, really.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. This, of course, <laughs> brings us to the reliability of these drugs uh, to induce the truth-telling state. That's what kind of we want to look at. Now, considering how unethical this is, how many clinical studies do you think have been conducted on the effects of narcoanalysis.
2: So like using oh. narcotics as the experiment? Not,
0: not specifically narcotics, but um, they just call it narcoanalysis when you're using these hypnotic drugs or... Um, I see. You know, it could be Thousands. anything.
1: Um, yeah, Thousands. Yeah, I'm willing to bet loads. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: you, are, you are so right. You yes. are so right.
1: There was an American, I forget what the project was called, but they used... Um, Acid. Yeah, it was acid on people who were in psych wards or who had PTSD, but it was without their knowledge.
0: We're going to talk about that. Good. There have been tons of like clinical studies into the efficacy of narcoanalysis for the purposes specifically of interrogation and lie detection. So like, I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting, was like, I was like, this is unethical. They're of course not going to do it, but there are tons another problem here there's a large dispute as to whether or not these clinical studies actually qualify as like randomized controlled studies that would be used to to you know meet the scientific standards for determining efficacy
2: so what you're saying is in addition to being unethical they also were ineffective like they just were not good experiments at the end of the day anyway yes
0: yeah they yeah. they wouldn't fit scientific standards narcoanalysis is is questionable scientifically morally and legally and, but it's still kind of been used throughout the world, which I found very interesting, is, is that it has actually been used throughout the world. The first place we're going to talk about is India, actually, um, where the Central Bur- Bureau of Investigation, or the CBI, has actually used the intravenous barbiturates for interrogation, especially in high-profile cases such as acts of terrorism or investigation of high-profile murder cases. Oh. So they've used it. They've, they've used it to get confessions out of people.
1: How does that stand up in court, though?
0: Well, we're going to talk about that. Okay. Because the Supreme Court declared that the use of narcoanalysis, polygraphs, and brain map testing were only allowed after consent of the, of the accused, because it would be considered unwarranted intrusion of personal liberty if you didn't get consent. So mm-hmm. you have to get someone to consent. In a case of a, a tiger killing in a national park in 2010 which is like way, way more recent than I thought it would be.
1: That is uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <right? laughs> this is still in India.
0: <laughs> yes, this is still in India. Oh, we're, we're going to get to other places. Don't okay. worry. Okay. <laughs> a narco analysis was used on four individuals and one of whom did not actually consent to the analysis, but it was still used on him. Damn. We're not there. We're not there yet. Now we're going to talk about Russia. Uh, the KGB specifically used a, a substance known as SP-117. This was a soluble, odorless, colorless, and tasteless substance. Great. And they used it mostly on foreign citizens. So uh, this was an improved successor to a similar drug used by the KGB that were effective in making the subject literally lose control of themselves for 15, uh, sorry, 15 minutes after intake. <sighs> it was scary. So This drug actually contains two parts, uh, the quote unquote dote and the antidote, where the person would have no recollection between, you know, taking the dote and the antidote and feel as though they had fallen asleep during that period. So they'd have no recollection of it.
2: Shit. This is some spy movie shit. Right? Or your What was your spy topic from, like, way in the beginning? It was spy catchers. Spy catcher, yeah.
0: This SP-117 was often delivered through alcoholic drinks uh, to explain the drowsiness. So they'd be like, oh, you just got drunk, so that's why you fell asleep. Some reports, funny enough, about SP 117 state it's actually just a very concentrated form of alcohol. Oh. It was just meant to be added to alcoholic drinks like champagne to make you just more drunk more quickly than you thought you would.
2: Oh, okay. Um, so, you mean but, I'm out in the woods making moonshine, but I accidentally created some Russian spy drug? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think this was supposed to be, like, tasteless. so, I mean, I think if you dumped some, like, moonshine to champagne, you'd be like, mm, this doesn't taste right.
2: That's true. You oh, can definitely taste moonshine.
0: <laughs> you can definitely taste moonshine. According to a Russian Foreign Intelligence Service officer who quit the service, the drug was actually used to verify the fidelity and trustworthiness of their agents who were going to operate overseas. No. So it was actually, like, it was used to, like, test their operatives.
1: Like a vetting.
0: Like a vetting process, exactly. Yeah now now we end up on our favorite place the united states originally in 1922 an obstetrician robert ernest house suggested that succopalamine could be used to prevent false convictions so his his idea was if you get everyone to tell the truth you can't have any false convictions because the people who would you know who were guilty would tell the truth that they're that they're guilty and the people who not guilty would tell the truth that they're not guilty so that was kind of his thinking was that if we could get people under a truth serum to like confess then then hey we we don't have to worry about it he noted that women under the influence of this drug during childbirth would answer questions accurately and would often quote-unquote exceedingly candid in the responses to his questions.
1: Are you freaking kidding me? A woman is having to be injected with truth serum and then asked questions while she's actively giving birth? It, was, <laughs> it,
0: what wasn't, the fuck? it wasn't meant to be, it was, it's, it's also a, a painkiller.
1: Okay, okay,
2: okay. Hang on, Drew, from a pure biochemical point of view, Would the intense pain light up the right parts of the brain like to make them really lucid while the like while the the serum dulls because you were saying before that it's like there's a part of your brain that is telling the truth like accessing memories or I guess Sarah Mm -hmm. was saying this accessing memories and making up memories right. So I'm imagining that this truth serum dulls both because it's like if you're highly subjectable maybe then it seems like you can't make up lies, but you also can't search for the truth either. But if you're under a situation where you're in extreme heightened awareness because you're in immense pain, mm-hmm. parts of your brain's are, brain is firing, but you also have this other part that's being kind of dulled by by the truth serum. Yeah. I wonder if that could... Actually, lead to the result where it's like, wow, she gave like totally correct and honest answers because of this cocktail of the two of them.
0: Yeah, this cocktail of things. Well, that's kind of why I think this is so well, one, I think it's immoral, and two, I think it's just ineffective is because, as you said, you have this cocktail of, I mean, we're talking about childbirth, like, childbirth fucking sucks. And we're going to like, you're going to be like, oh, let's ask you questions while you're on this drug, while you're giving a, you know, pushing a child right. out. Like, I don't know. I think you're completely right that you're getting this like cocktail of, of hormones. You're getting this cocktail of, 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 drugs and you're getting this cocktail of like the whole situation that it's, it's, you end up with something that you can't replicate outside of a, outside of this specific That's situation.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: He specifically called the state that they would achieve the twilight sleep state cross Yeah. <laughs> so, and then he proposed that this drug could be used during interrogations. As evidence, um, House used, used this drug on two prisoners who were believed to be guilty. They denied their guilt while in the twilight sleep state and were eventually acquitted of their crimes. So he basically said, just because these two guys that I injected with it weren't guilty, that means it's a great serum. Wow. So there's not really too much of a scientific backing behind it. I hope it. they
2: really were innocent. Because that would suck.
0: The, I th- yeah, <laughs> it's really suck. However, scopolamine uh, was rejected in court as the scientific origins and certainties of its efficacy were definitely called into question. The US Office of Strategic Services experimented with mascaline, the drug I was talking about, the scopolamine, and marijuana as possible truth drugs in World War II. So, this is like the beginning of that.
1: I'd take a joint.
0: <laughs> for, for to tell the truth? Sure sure (laughs) they concluded that these effects were not any different than alcohol and subjects would become more talkative but not necessarily more truthful so that's kind of what this whole Mm. like this whole thing boils down to is that it lowers your inhibitions but it doesn't really cause you to to tell the truth more you just kind of spout shit and it doesn't matter if it's true or false like hypnosis, there's the question of suggestibility and the interviewer influence when it comes to the use of these drugs because cases involving these drugs result in testimonies that directly contradict each other. You have this, this interviewer influence where the interviewer is saying like, yeah, you did this, you did this, you did this, and then you get someone to, to testify to that, and then later you get the same person and you say you didn't do this you didn't do this and then all of a sudden they're going to testify that they didn't do it and now you have directly Mm. contradicting testimonies from the same person so it's just like it's just suggestibility right during the 1950s and 1960s the cia carried out a number of projects involving illegal use of truth drugs including lsd And it was concluded that no such magical brew for truth serum exists and that individuals that are trained to withstand ordinary intense interrogation can hold out against these drugs. So that's kind of the the big problem where if you have someone trained in this, they're just going to be able to hold out against the drugs. In 1963, the Supreme Court ruled that confessions produced as a result of truth serum ingestion were unconstitutionally coerced and therefore inadmissible in court. So our our Supreme Court laid down the law and said, nope, can't take these.
2: It actually sounds like the reason this happened was because those laws didn't exist yet.
0: Probably, yeah.
2: And it took this to make those laws.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Judges and expert witnesses generally agree that these drugs are not a reliable form of lie detection. Um, But, but, but are you ready for it? Yeah. In 2012, a judge approved the use of narcoanalysis in the Colorado shooting trial to evaluate if the suspect was of sound mind to stand trial.
1: What? There's other ways to evaluate mental state.
0: Yes, but they basically believed that the narcoanalysis interview would confirm whether or not he was legally insane. So they're, they're, he, they basically believed that... He, this person couldn't hide behind anything if he was in the right. like if he was under the influence of narcoanalysis.
1: So wow. he was obviously trying to claim insanity.
0: Yes, this was not actually known if the if the the the, the narcoanalysis was actually carried out, um, but it was oh. the judge did approve it. Who knows if it actually happened? To end off, I wanted to quote a psychiatrist August Piper, um, who said that the inhibition lowering effects in no way prompts the subject to offer up true statements or memories. So basically, these drugs lower the inhibition threshold for all information, be it true or false. It just makes you say shit. Whether it's true or false, doesn't matter. It just comes out.
2: Yeah, and I I also agree with, with what Sarah was saying, was like, especially if you kind of do already live in your own sort of world, like let's say you're not really in touch with reality, like you could really believe that that is the truth. Like, I'm seeing flying yeah. octopi. Like, that is just literally the truth. And, and you yeah. can put all the drugs in me you want. Like, if that's the truth I'm experiencing, that's, that's what I'm going to tell you.
0: Yeah, definitely I could see that. <laughs> I believe these drugs are very questionable scientifically, morally, and legally. So I'm definitely not a fan. I'm not a fan of these. They're cool to, like, think about, but I'm definitely not a fan.
2: Think twice before using a truth serum, actually, because it may not be... Scientifically sound.
0: Or it's actually torture.
2: All right. Who's depressed?
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Me.
2: (laughs) 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 Let's completely switch gears entirely. I will not be able to tell you how many clicks got me here because it was many. And I will say that I tried so hard to get stuck in sinkholes because I thought they would be really cool. (laughs) Turns out I did not find them very cool.
1: (laughs) I love that you're like, I tried.
2: I did. I saw the title and I was like, fuck yeah. And then I was like skimming for the word haunted. I really wanted a haunted sinkhole. Could not find one. So I was like, I'm not into this.
1: I wonder if one exists.
2: I tried. I couldn't find one. But if any of our listeners do know, you can tell us by subbing to our Patreon and commenting (laughs) below. (laughs) But instead, we're going to get a little sexy. Let's take out this depression. (laughs) (laughs) My topic is see-through clothing. That was officially the Wiki article. But I'm going to tell you guys up front that I was most intrigued by truly like three or four paragraphs out of the whole article. And so instead, I went to the primary sources and All of what I'm about to tell you is total off-roading and reading through magazine articles and newspaper articles from 1913
1: and 1914. Yes! Yes, I love this. It's like an anthropological dig.
2: Yes, and so I am also very happy to say that I will be updating the Wiki article with some of the details that I learned, but I've also accidentally found information that updates other Wiki articles. I was reading about this theater that caught fire, totally off topic, and it just everywhere on Wikipedia was like, yeah, it just caught fire. Well, while reading the magazines and newspapers for my topic, I saw an adjacent article that was about <laughs> how the fire started and it was from a militant group of suffragettes just like yes. badass women. <laughs> they doused the interior of this theater in oil and lit it on fire far out nowhere else could i find that information so i went and
1: edited that thank you you were doing wikipedia a service right now <laughs>
2: Turns out there's a huge community for that. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of our listeners really like to edit wiki articles. It's pretty freaking awesome and it feels good. It's like...
1: Contributing to human knowledge. Yeah. 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 I love it. Reading through old newspaper
2: articles was huge fun. So before I jump into see-through clothing, I've got a few terms I need to define or prerequisites because I have a feeling that not everybody's into clothing like I am. If I say a split skirt... Drew, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> it's a skirt with a little split down the center, A little, little baby hole. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Drew! You meant you meant a small hole, not for birthing,
0: right? <laughs> no, hundred <laughs> for birthing. No, no, no. I mean like a like a like a like a a, a line down it. It's, it's not like a hole. Like in the middle. Or on the side, like on the side. I don't
1: oh, yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> Honestly, Drew, you're right. A split skirt is exactly <laughs> that. It's what would be a very tight skirt is sort of liberated by this slit that kind of goes. I think nowadays we see it where it's like you've got a tight pencil skirt on, but you when you walk there's like this little triangular window that opens up not to get all sexy but it's like you know it gives you a little bit more freedom Mm -hmm. because of this slit in it so good that's a split skirt um the word diaphanous is that something you guys know no no diaphanous um i'm pretty sure i learned from a sylvia plath poem a little bit see-through you don't get all the details it's it's more like a dirty window than a clean window, but not completely dirty that the light's blocked out. Okay. 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 In the clothing world, we also use the word sheer. So if I'm wearing a sheer top, it means I better be wearing an undershirt if I'm going to go into the office. Yes, makes sense. Okay. There's a lot of, like, chiffon, I think, and there's other types of blouses. You know, if you're wearing a white sheer shirt... You need to be careful what color bra you're wearing because if you wear, like, a black bra underneath it, it's going to show through. It is diaphanous. It is sheer. Okay. So now that I've got everyone riled up, we've forgotten all of the trauma of the last two topics. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Drop that Patreon one more time. (laughs) So see-through clothing. The earliest in the article talked about this sort of fashion trend emerging in the 1700s, so 1770s, Ooh, 1780s, people started wearing sheer clothing. Yeah. Immediately, people hated it. Well, not people. Um, no fun people hated it. The reason, so this is a cultural thing that is really lost to us now. The reason is because it resembled the appearance of a bathrobe. So as you're getting ready and you put just like a simple thing on to get ready and whatever, probably naked underneath Ooh, and you're, getting your, you're doing your hair and stuff like that. Your, your bathrobe, I, I presume, was made of a similar style or material that would be very light And uh, people wearing sheer clothing in the 1700s reminded them of a bathrobe, pretty much. And so they were like, this association is scandalous, already inappropriate. So it's not like they could see flesh and things like that. It was just like, you're making a reference to something that is already inappropriate. In fact, Abigail Adams, the wife of John Adams, our second president, went to France. Obviously, I was going to bring up France. France. In 1784, (laughs) and people in France were wearing sheer clothing as kind of like an an added layer to their outfit. It wasn't just by itself, and she was appalled at how scandalous this was. Really, but it was very stylish in France. Yeah, and the the reason that it had become stylish was that people, by the name of demi mons, were wearing them. So, kind of a pop quiz. What does the word Demi mean? Two. Yeah. So like a demigod is somebody who is both a
0: human and a god. Yeah. Like a, like kinda. It's like, like a, a kinda. H- <laughs> like a kind kinda. <laughs> <laughs> A kinda god.
2: So, yeah, both god and man. Um, Mond, because I'm not pronouncing it right, uh, is World. So, Demimons are people who belong to two different worlds. Oh. And this was the French name given to prostitutes to
1: the wealthy. Oh, like a high-class uh, escort. A
2: bit, yeah. Because prostitutes still belong to a very low level of society, but they were fraternizing and kind of like the arm candy of very powerful people. Yes. So, they were called Demimons. Hmm. Um. And it was the Demimons would wear these outfits in the motherfucking late 1700s. They would wear these semi-sheer gowns over these flesh-colored body stockings. So cool. what I would think of as Spanx, pretty yeah. much, they would wear this like flesh-colored Spanx and a sheer gown on top of it. And their breasts, arms, and feet were all bare. So they were like pretty much naked. Wow. They left nothing to the imagination. What I love is that, okay, so today when, when women dress, or not even women, when people dress in sheer clothing or mesh clothes or even anything that is perceived as inappropriate, people who are no fun start blaming what? Celebrities, movies, mm. pop culture. The culture, culture. Yeah. the pop culture, yeah, yeah. Guess what they blamed in the late seventeen hundreds?
0: Hmm. God. I think it's the opposite wrong, right? of what they blamed.
1: <laughs> Satan. <gasps> no. Oh, I no. would wear more sheer if it meant that. I won't. Say nope. That.
2: <laughs> so at the time, remember, late seventeen hundreds is about the Enlightenment-ish. And it was the revival of a lot of Greek and Roman works. We see it in architecture. We see it in writing. And so they blamed the naked statues of the Greeks and what people were making in the style. So because of naked statues and just like women who have this like draped that's like over them like marble but still looks like a wet drape that's what they blamed for women dressing this way good was the fucking statues (laughs)
1: let people wear what they want to wear if you want to put your titties out okay (laughs) go for it
2: i mean i'm not willing to say that the statues had no part in it i mean i totally back then would have looked at that and went wow that's a thing of beauty what a visage of the female form i'm totally gonna do that I think that's really cool, though. <laughs> yeah. I just love that because it's like, hey, we don't have, we don't have like the supermarket checkout line magazines to play, <laughs> <so> we're going <laughs> to so like, the, the statues. Statues. Yeah.
0: Fucking antiquity. <laughs> the come Greek. on.
2: Homer's rising from the dead to slap me across <laughs> the face with breasts. <laughs> As Sarah said at the start of the episode, I'm actually going to focus a lot more on the 19-teens. That's where the article got into, and that's where I really uh, off-roaded. And the reason I did was because I loved these old-timey terms for these different articles of clothing. So the first one that's brought up in the 1900s, 19-teens is the peekaboo waist. And the peekaboo waist at this point, Drew's face, I can't tell if that was disgust or deep
0: intrigue. I'm just trying to figure out what it would be. (laughs) It was intrigue.
2: Well, at first I thought maybe like a belly shirt, but no, it is literally a sheer blouse and you can sometimes see flesh through where the buttonholes are. Okay.
1: Oh, okay. Scandalous.
2: Absolutely shut that shit down.
1: (laughs) Mm -mm. Men might get aroused by seeing some bare skin. I'm glad you
2: brought up men. I read an article from a Sydney magazine. Yeah. Or no, sorry, it was the Daily Telegraph. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, an article from the Daily Telegraph referred to some of the sheer dresses as freak
1: dresses. I'm pretty sure they've always been a conservative newspaper as well.
2: Oh, my God, because here we go. I wrote down direct <laughs> quotes from this absolute slaughter of a,
1: of a publication. <laughs> yes, yes, please.
2: So they referred to these sheer dresses as undue scantiness that invites pneumonia. <laughs>
1: what? <For> some- <laughs> Invite pneumonia. <laughs> like, they were down. so upset
2: by the low cut nature of some of these blouses and, sh- and dresses that they were like, our women are going to get pneumonia. So here's, here's a-, a call, a general call that this Sydney newspaper made. Uh, to to its its readers so they asked to appeal to women's common sense and men's protective attitude oh don't worry sarah if you don't know what that means they really elaborate for you in no uncertain terms here's some direct quotes (laughs) when and where has women's common sense ever enabled (laughs) the sex as a whole to divide the vagaries of fashion (laughs) <laughs> let me translate for you let me translate 100 years later when have we ever been able to rely on women's common sense to do what is
1: sensible when it comes to fashion <laughs> <laughs> what a bird <burn. sighs> and so that is so mean
2: they kind of answer their own rhetorical question right away and they say certainly not in any state of the commonwealth And not within the recollection of any observer now living.
0: (laughs) Women. Women, you know.
2: Women. (laughs) Women are going to get pneumonia, fucking dumbass. (laughs) Fucking stupid, what are you doing?
0: You're going to get pneumonia.
1: You're stupid, letting your women wear sheer. It's not even sheer clothing. It's like buttons that might. let some breathe well, it's in. Also,
2: it's also the low cut nature, which was su- starting to come about. I don't actually know how low low cut was, but probably the best description I could find for you guys was a deeper dive I took into what's called the x-ray dress. Oh. Yes, sweet. Perfectly named. <laughs> really leaves nothing to the imagination. The x-ray dress was a dress that was considered too sheer or revealing. So it was kind of like this slang term that people would use, but it was also used in very official forms. So the LA chief of police straight up banned x-ray dresses. LA cannot, (laughs) you cannot. The fun I had with this article was Just a hundred years later, I'm still like, holy shit, you got wrecked. (laughs) It gets so bad. So, (laughs) So, all right, all right. The mayor of Portland wrote to the police to arrest every woman whose dress was cut too low or skirt had been split up to the knee. So at this stage, we're not even allowed to show things above the knee. If your dress was split from the ankle up to the knee, arrest that woman. It's
1: indecent. Are you kidding me?
2: I mean, it's no secret that women have kind of gotten the short end of the stick, but it's kind of just incredible to me that like, I mean, okay, clearly between the way that clothing was and the way that clothing is now, Clearly, transitions had to occur. And I think that's what was so interesting to me about this was that this is one of those times that a transition was occurring because clearly we wear sheer clothing now. And anytime you have changed, people are going to oppose it and people are going to be for it. And so it was mm-hmm. very interesting to me just how up in arms people got about a change that's like this. But this is my favorite, my absolute favorite reaction. The King of the Belgians, this is all still about 1913, 1914. Gave the wearer of a slit skirt the broadest hint that its presence was unwelcome. And if that wasn't bad enough, that the King of Belgium lightly hints that he doesn't like your skirt, here's what happened. The court martial escorted the woman to her carriage and expressed the King's deepest concern at the accident, which evidently had happened to her ball gown. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> fucking get wrecked. Get wrecked. <laughs> it's like a, Oh my god! Oh my god! It's like a, I don't know if you know this, but your dress is fucked up, like really fucked up. <laughs>
1: What, did you fall off your horse? Yeah, it's like, it's
2: like, I'm so sorry you have to leave the party. And whatever happened to your real dress you were going to wear tonight? Like, I'm also like, really sorry about that.
1: <laughs> I would love to know what the dress looked like. Because I wonder if it was just like a little shin or a knee peeking out. That was so scandalous.
2: It. What I loved about this was like, there are so many mistakes that i have made in my life that i lay in bed and think about but the fact that it's a hundred years later and i'm reading about this person's embarrassing moment fucking <laughs> sucks. <laughs> like, <that poor> <laughs> she probably laid in bed like the kid kicked me out because he didn't like my outfit and a hundred years later i was like on a shitty leg <laughs>
1: <laughs> this poor woman
2: just kidding. I love you, whoever you are. That's awesome and super metal that you did that.
1: I hope she didn't let it affect her. I hope she still wore her dresses that she enjoyed.
2: One of the primary publications that I was reading was actually kind of like a women's magazine. At the time, there were a lot of just like fashion based magazines. And so it was a very long article about the way that women were reacting to this sort of style coming into being. And one of the things that they actually discussed, clearly this was a publication by women for women. They they said, sorry, this is vague, but French houses, I don't know what the French houses were, were sewing up the quote, offending aperture, <laughs> aka sewing back the, the skirts together. They were sewing up the offending aperture, but promising new gowns with freedom. The writer of this article holds out hope that that slit was actually really useful because it was easier to walk. And if this is offending people so much, people are reversing it. Hopefully changes in fashion down the road will have something that is still easier to walk in. And I was kind of intrigued by this. And I was trying to search like, what did these slit skirts look like? And I ended up on the opposite, which is what they were rebelling against. And these are called hobble skirts. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. No. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Hobble skirts were popular in a very small window, 1908 to 1914. And there's this like hilarious on the wiki page, there is this like little postcard with a joke on it. And it, the joke is that it's called the speed limit skirt. And the idea <laughs> of a hobble skirt is that you quite literally put some kind of restrictive rope or belt or whatever around your legs so that all you can do is hobble when you walk sounds weird but also so is foot binding but people did it for fashion here's where it comes from you might like this sarah okay the idea is that in 1908 so this is the beginning of this window the first woman to fly as an airplane passenger edith ogleby burke tied a rope around her skirts so that it wouldn't fly away while she was on her airplane flight. Wright Brothers had just invented the airplane, so it was like this whole hot new thing. She's like, I don't want to be flashing everybody while I'm making history. So she ties her skirt together, and when she gets off the plane, she doesn't untie it and just kind of hobbles across the ground. And the idea is that there was a French fashion designer present at the moment who was totally inspired by this visage. Oh, my it was God. Like, this is the future, like, we're in, like, this is high-tech future lady, like, and it, so it was kind of, not really in honor of her, but kind of emulating her and yeah. new technology at the time. A bro-
1: Around a skirt.
2: Around I your skirt. skirt.
1: I love it.
2: People would, so it would be, like, kind of around the calf area, and people wouldn't really, I mean, like, there were, like, literal, uh um, bars or like belts that you could put around there but a sort of simplified version became just having really tight skirts that went all the way down to the ankles and so Uh, the skirt itself was tight enough to be doing the restricting and you didn't need to tie a belt around your legs
1: so you just hobble along like a meek little lady
2: like a little penguin just waddle along um like I said these were very popular in a very brief window like 6 years. These it did was not a fad. stick around. It was exactly. It was a fad. It was also kind of economic too because it required less fabric and people mm. were still kind of going to local tailors. So it was a little bit economic. But what's also interesting is that at the time women were becoming more active. And so what this kind of reminds me of is this flex where, like, if you have a manual labor job or if you don't, you get your nails done to show people, like, I don't actually need... I don't touch
1: anything.
2: Yeah. So it's to me, it kind of speaks to that sort of, like, I don't need to walk. I don't need to sweat. I don't need to do anything. I can be this delicate little doll who wobbles around in the skirt. So to me, it actually is a little bit of, like, a... I don't know. I do see fashion as rebellion in a twisted way because it's like, how could you be more mainstream? Fashion yeah. is the mainstream. But I, I, I see a little bit of pride in it that I like. But what was funny to me or kind of astounding is that this hobble skirt trend actually went so far as to change technology. So actually streetcar designs changed because women couldn't step up into the streetcars. How did they get them up? The streetcars lowered. Just so a woman could hobble her way (laughs) Yeah, women couldn't get into the fucking streetcar. Wow. The streetcar designs in LA and and New York changed to actually just be lower to the ground as a result of the hobble skirt. Of course, there is the dark side of the hobble skirt history. There was a horse race and a horse got loose and a woman couldn't (gasps) run away, so she died. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And then there's also the Erie Canal. some woman was like vacationing and like fell and like couldn't couldn't swim. <laughs> fucking hobbles <laughs> couldn't swim. So the skirts, oh, no. Like many fashion trends. I mean, people die by selfies. like, you know, it's just people don't That's change
1: true. Oh my gosh, I would be so pissed off if I was that woman that got trampled by a horse <laughs> because I couldn't run because of my stupid bullshit fashion skirt
2: fucking you you work so hard picking out your outfits i bet that was an outing fucking killed by outing anyway the solution to the hobble skirt is if you want to get this shape to your skirt but still walk a slit makes sense you've still got the style but now you've got the functionality this is the roots of the modern day pencil skirt
1: yeah and why there's a slit up the back yeah which i hate pencil skirts i think they should be banned they're just not comfortable. Literally,
2: like. Weren't you weren't you upset about <laughs> men banning clothes like 10 minutes
1: ago? <laughs> yes, I was. I think they should be banned on the premise that they're not comfortable. <laughs> people can not, wear what people can be, wear <laughs> people can wear what they want. They can wear what they want, but I will not wear a pencil skirt. Thank you.
2: Everyone very much. vote Sarah for dictator. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
2: What I thought was so fun about this, too, is just like any time of, of change, you know, you've got this kind of rebellion against it. But you also have people who, just like the Internet, doubt that it's going to take off. Madame Peguin, whoever that is, declares the slit
0: doomed. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Do never. Done.
2: Fucking never. To them, the solution was looser skirts, which also did happen. So I guess they're not totally wrong. Uh, but I guess, I guess the world wasn't ready for that yet. But what I thought was great, too, was the article weighs in. When I say article, I mean like this women's magazine article from 1913. They weigh in on the pros and cons. So the good thing about slit skirts is that you can dance in them. The bad thing, according to them, is that you need to have a beautiful figure. Oh. And if you are an ungraceful walker... It's really gonna ruin the charm. So, get fucking think.
0: <laughs> get Fuck. <rent>.
2: <laughs> they really spared no one's feelings back then. Just like <laughs> everything, I was like, oh, ow! Like holy shit! <laughs> Walk around in like trench coats my whole life or something. <laughs> They they quoted some designer saying the majority of my clients have no taste for such eccentricity as having one of these split skirts. And he remarks, which I'll say to close, that errors in taste are happily the exception and not the rule.
0: Errors in taste. Jesus
1: wow can you imagine you know how at the moment it's trendy which i think they look terrible i'm not a fan but those skirts that have slips in the front up the thighs on each thigh so it's like you're walking around and you got like your loincloth in the front. loincloth, yeah. <laughs> and, they're, and they're really trendy at the moment with two slits up the thighs. Can you imagine he would roll in his grave if he saw this as a trend? Oh,
2: totally. Here we are making fun of that and what if that's just the standard 50 to 100 years from now? Like we are being these people in this Yeah. <laughs> like and I just I just love like the the fucking like advice if you if you were going against the grain thank god that you're the exception and not the rule thank god there's a sense of decency and norm- <laughs> normalcy and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but i mean brutal. it's kind of like we're on the other side of that right now being like yeah those fucking eccentrics over
0: there with the double slit <laughs> mm-hmm. double, double slit experiment you're gonna get wait what are you waves thank or article <laughs> what are that's,
1: that's the whole history on uh, see-through clothing and slit skirts.
2: Sexy and brutal.
1: It makes me want to go buy a sheer blouse and a skirt with a slit in it. Makes me realize, thank God I was born today, because I am too delicate for the criticisms that existed
2: 100 years <laughs> ago. Oh my God.
1: I would have been destroyed. Especially the hobble skirt, because, you know, I would have worn one to blend in with the people, but I'm one of those people who can barely walk in a straight line as it is I would have been trampled by a horse and be killed (laughs) that would have been
2: me I don't know if anyone's ever told you this Sarah but if you lived a hundred years ago you would have been trampled by a horse (laughs) (laughs) people were fucking brutal like I can't get over the king being like oh sorry whatever happened to your real dress that's like your (laughs) aunt with your with your bangs being like oh did you mean to do that
1: (laughs) (laughs) get fucked I think it's so brutal, like the Australian paper, who's like, you're going to invite pneumonia. Uh, Sir, you live in Sydney where it gets pretty dang hot and you want your woman to be fully covered 24-7?
2: That was literally my question. I was like, I'm not an expert on Australian climate, but do you guys even have pneumonia there? (laughs) I mean, you can get pneumonia.
0: Well, you're inviting it in.
1: <laughs> you're inviting it in. You're holding the door wide no. fucking open for we It's definitely not like the US. We do not have any crazy cold. Wow. I just, That's I know, so
2: I know if I was born back then, they would have been like, you're not pretty enough for a pencil skirt. And I would have been like, okay, I'm going back to the farm. <laughs> so, <yeah.
1: laughs> okay, me too. Okay. No,
2: okay. <laughs> All right. Then. I'll leave society now. Thanks for sticking with us if you're still with us.
0: <laughs> we did it.
2: <laughs> we, we did it. It. We made it. We made it here. We didn't think we were going to make it here, but we made it here.
1: <laughs> we learned great stuff today. We learned love, truth, how to get wrecked from wearing a slit in your skirt. Excellent, excellent <laughs> knowledge to have.
2: Tomorrow is a bright new future.: Pneumonia-free,
1: tips out and all.
0: Yeah, do, do what you want with because a pirate is free. You are a pirate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, my pirates. Hang out with us on Discord, on Twitter. Go ask Alice Pod. On Instagram, go ask Alice Podcast. On TikTok, Sarah Webb Science. That's web with two Bs. And if you want to hang out on Discord, the link is evergreen. So just come find it uh, anywhere else that you can find us. And we really, really love Muggle Watchers. so, so, so we much. We love you, Muggle Watchers. Yes.
1: We love Muggle, oh. Muggle Watcher. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. bye
0: Oh, hello. Hello. I stuck a finger in my hole. <laughs>